0: Okay, as I mentioned, we are studying in the, the book of Ephesians, the letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. So you can be opening up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter one if you wish. We're gonna be continuing our study there this morning. And uh, as we've mentioned in the past few weeks, we went through the doxology of the first uh, few, few verses of chapter one, particularly three, actually four through 14 where Paul talks about the great blessings we have in Jesus Christ, Uh, the the riches, the the glorious riches that we have in Jesus Christ, not in and of ourselves, not in and of our flesh, but in the fact that we are in him, and he mentions that several times in that doxology, right? He's talking about in him we have glory through the Father, we have riches, blessings through the Father. We talked about how that was, how he he had predestined, he had chosen, A Way of salvation for those who believed in him and obeyed right and made us and adopted us as sons In other words, we can be called children of God What a wonderful blessing that is right to be children of God. He also talked about that inheritance that we have Because of that we are children of God. We have an inheritance waiting as we read when we studied John We have that life. That's abundant now. All right. We are kind of already receiving that in some respect sure we're in the flesh We don't have that eternal body. We don't have that uh, eternal glory that he is going to give us when we are with him in eternity in the spirit, but we have that abundant life now. Then he talked about the riches we have in Jesus Christ, how he forgave us our sins, redeemed us, and he is the reason we have that hope, the reason we have that inheritance coming because of his shedding of his blood that we might have that hope eternal life right and then last week we talked about that spirit the spirit that he gave us when we obeyed we became Christians that guarantee that seal right we talked about how the king would put his seal on something to make it genuine to show that it was truly from him right that seal that we have through the spirit we know we are his we know that we've been sanctified set apart for good works right we are his children we are his people We are highly favored by him. Which is an awesome thing to think about. You think about the Old Testament, right? Who were the chosen people? The Jews, the Israelites, right? They were highly favored by God. Now that Jesus Christ has come, shed his blood, raised up and now ascended to heaven and sitting on the throne, the right hand of God, we are now part of his kingdom. We are servants in his kingdom. We are highly favored just like the Israelites were in the Old Testament. Now it's open to all, right? Not just the Jews. Wonderful thing to think about. And in that spirit, we have that guarantee, right? We have that seal and that guarantee that we are going to be saved when it comes to that great day, right? That great judgment day. All right. Well, Paul goes through that doxology, and now we're going to look today at the next few verses where he, he, he talks about his prayer for those who are in Ephesus. In fact, in his letters that we read about, that Paul here talks when he's writing to Ephesus, when he's writing to the church of Philippi, when he's writing to the church in Colossae. He always talks about his prayers for them, right? The way he refers to them. In fact, let's look over at Philippians chapter 1 real quick. Just flip over there, and let's see how he prayed for the church in Philippi. Philippians chapter 1, and in verse 9, he said, And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. <clears throat> Here we have where he's, he's praying, about, he's talking about his prayer for the church in Philippi, right? And in, in that uh, prayer, we find it helpful, right, to remember that Paul is writing by inspiration, right? talked about that Holy Spirit Paul has that Holy Spirit the helper the comforter that was promised to the Apostles by Jesus Christ on the day of Pentecost right he has that spirit so in essence when he's talking about this prayer for the the brethren in uh, Ephesus or in Philippi here he's telling us that's what God's will is that's what God's desire for us is it's coming from God it's not just Paul doing it it is inspired right Interesting concept. We don't necessarily think about that sometimes, right? We read what Paul says, but we won't think that's really what God says, right? He was inspired by that spirit. <coughs> in, in most of these cases, uh, the concern, he's concerned about certain things that are applicable to those who are in the first century, right? And there's some things that are kind of different than it is today, but in this prayer, we can have it, we, it can be for us as well, right? We can apply that to our lives the same way the brethren in the first century did at Ephesus, right? With that thought in mind, let's let's read what he says there in Ephesus. Go back to Ephesus chapter 1, and let's read about that prayer that he has for the brethren there. Beginning in verse 15, he says, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. And seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places now that that's five verses there's a lot to take in there isn't there there's a lot of verses there and it's easy to read one one verse at a time but wow that's a lot to grasp is it not and we're going to begin with talking about the first part of that the fact that the Father has that great love for us right he has that great love we pray about that right we pray about that love that he had for us, that unconditional love that he would send his son. And we, we can understand that. We, we know we have beloved people in our lives, our spouses, I hope, our children, right? We love them. And most of us, I guess, hope, hope maybe all of us, would go so far as to say we would die for those loved ones, right? For our spouses, for our children. We put ourselves in their place if that were to take place, right? But to do that for our enemies or folks that we don't really know, hmm, that's easy to say, right? But maybe not so much to do. That's what God's love was. He loved the whole world. Gave his begotten, only begotten son, that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. So he's talking about that great love, and he mentions that thankfulness for them because of their faith, their great faith. Remember when we were studying Colossae, that was one of the things that Paul had learned, right? We, we, we talked about the fact that Paul probably was not uh, direct in helping establish that congregation in Colossae. It was probably established by Epaphras and some others who lived there. Of course, Paul was preaching in that region, so you could say indirectly, he established that congregation. But he talked about how he had heard about their great faith and their great love for each other, their steadfastness in the faith. He's saying the same thing about the brethren in Ephesus here, right? Their great faith, their great love. He knows about their, uh, their, their love, the, 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 the great love they have for each other. And then he tells them something in verse 17 that he wishes for them. What is that? What, what is he wanting them to do? Let's go back and read that in verse 17. He says <clears throat> uh, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. All right, well, that's a lot. That's a long verse. What's it mean? Well, pretty much to know God is what he's saying there. His wish and his prayer is to know God. And we can say, since he was inspired, that's God's wish, right? To know him. Perhaps that's more important than anything. Turn over to, uh, I want to read a verse in Jeremiah. Turn back to the Old Testament. Now let's just read something from Jeremiah uh, in chapter 23. Something that the prophet said here about what we're talking about here. Verse chapter 23. And uh, let's see, let's begin, I'm sorry, Jeremiah 9. I was looking at the verse there. Jeremiah 9, chapter 9. And... Verse uh, verse 23, not, not chapter 23. He says, in Jeremiah 9, 23, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might. Nor let the rich man glory in his riches. Sounds like the world today, right? But let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Those are some powerful verses, right? It sounds like what our world is like today, right? And he's saying the most important thing is not riches. The most important thing is not wisdom of man. It's to know Him, to know God. That's more important than anything else. Turn back to the book of John. And let's look in chapter 17 there. I want to read something there, too. We, We read this back when we were studying John just a few months ago. But let's begin in chapter 17 in the book of John, verse 1. He says, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him, and this is eternal life. Notice what he said there. He said, and this is eternal life, that they may know you. That's eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That's pretty much it in a nutshell right there. That's eternal life, to know God, to know him. And what happens if you don't? Turn over to 2 Thessalonians, and let's see what is written in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 there for a second. If I can get over there. First, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, and in verse 7, he says, and to give you who are troubled rest with us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, he's talking about the second coming here, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Who's going to be that? Who's going to be destroyed? Those who do not know God that sounds pretty simple don't it either you know him or you don't right in your lives when you needed to maybe I don't know get a better job or uh, maybe you needed you want you had uh, many many years ago for most of you you wanted to date somebody but you didn't really know them so what did you do you kind of found somebody you knew them and you got to know them maybe And then somehow you got to know that person. It's who you know, right? Not what you do. You heard that before? In your jobs. Yeah. It's all about who you know. Right? We can understand that a little bit. Yeah, sure. But how do we know God? How do we truly know who God is? How do we have that relationship with Him? Verse 17 comes through a spirit of wisdom and revelation. What does that mean? In that verse 17, he says that he could be referring here to either the Holy Spirit itself or spiritual gifts that you might have received the Holy Spirit. Either case, he's likely referring to that process that was still going on at the time, that process that was guiding the apostles and the Christians in the first century. They didn't have the full knowledge. They didn't have the full canon of Scripture like we do today, right? So they were being guided by the Spirit. They had miracles going on so they could see the signs and wonders and believe, right? And they had special knowledge, special faith, some of them. They were able to speak in tongues that was encouraging and could be interpreted. All that was part of that was going on. But that doesn't mean today we can't have that same wisdom and knowledge that was revealed through the Spirit. We have what? The Word, right? We have it here. In fact, (coughs) go over to John again and let's read something that he says there in chapter 16. (coughs) And by the way, these verses are in your outline if you grab it. I know we go through them kind of fast, but you can also get them from there if you need to. John chapter 16, and let's begin in verse 12. He says, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. However, when he, the spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Therefore I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. That's where we Jesus is talking about the Spirit to come to help guide them, right? And then back to Ephesians. And let's look over in chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3, where he talks about that final revelation a little bit. Begin in verse 1 there. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which was given to me for you, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery as I have briefly written already, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Paul's saying the mystery's been revealed, right? Christ Jesus, who was sent, it's been revealed to me, now I'm giving it to you, the gospel. That's the mystery that's been revealed in Christ Jesus. So now we have that revelation. We have the wisdom that goes with that. The Spirit helps us. We have the Word, we can read about these things do you know God do you really know God a lot of people say they know about God yeah a lot of people say they believe in God right but then you look at their life and doesn't look like the life that you would think someone that knows God would lead right and I'm not saying we're perfect you know we, we, we sin we have shortcomings but do you really know God We read the scripture, it says, on that great day, there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, and what's he say? Depart from me. I never knew you. We have to know God. That's easy to say, not so much easy to practice perhaps, because he's not here physically with us, right? We we can have a relationship with our friends, our spouse, our family. That's easy. Yeah, they're right there. We talk to them. Uh, Our kids got to live in our house, you know? even though we may want to kick them out every once in a while. That's easier than perhaps having a relationship with someone who is with us in spirit. But ultimately, that's where we're going to be, right? We're only here for a short time. We're like a vapor, right? Here for a little while and pass away. That flesh is not going to last for eternity. That spirit is what's going to last for eternity. And so we need to know the Father. He's given us ways to do it. Through His Word, which we should be in all the time. Through prayer, right? We talked about that. The veil was torn. We can go right in His throne room and talk to Him. you talk to your spouse at night before you go to sleep? You ever had a spouse that got a little chatty at night and you were trying to get to sleep? <laughs> yeah, sure you have. We can do that with God. And it's not just prayers before bed, right? It's any time. We have that ability. We are adopted sons of God. Do you understand that? And we should be knowing him better than we know our own spouse, better than we know our own children. We should be. What a tragedy to get to that great day, and he says, I never knew you. I know I'm preaching a little bit now, but I'm trying to get the point across, right? James 4.8, remember that verse. Draw nigh unto God, and he will draw nigh unto you. That's a great promise. That is a promise. We can bank on it, and we should take advantage of it. You need to know God. The God who created the universe. The God who sent his son to die for us. Because of his great love. He also observed in Paul's prayer concern he had for the Ephesians that included their eyes being opened. What did he mean? What do we mean by that? In verse 18, he talks about the fact that they would know the hope of God's calling. Right In Christ we have been called. We have a calling. What does that mean? Turn over to Second Thessalonians again. I should have told you to just keep a finger there, but let's. Go back to 2nd Thessalonians, let's read a verse from there, chapter 2, 13, verse 13, 2nd Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13, he says, but we are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren beloved, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. In verse 13, he says, from the beginning chose you for salvation. That doesn't mean you don't have free will. Talk about that. For those who believe, you've been chosen to be sanctified by the Spirit. All right? And belief in the truth to which you are called by our gospel for the obtaining of of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have a calling because we are adopted sons of God. We have a purpose. God is calling us into his kingdom and to his glory. We've been called to do something. right? We've been saved. We've been called to serve him, to participate in that glory, and thereby doing that, we glorify God. Turn over to uh, 1 Peter. It's right near 2 Thessalonians there. And let's read something that Peter had to say, 1 Peter chapter 2, about this calling. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, whose own special people, his own special people that you may proclaim The praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light maybe that'll help you understand that a little bit you've been called out of darkness you've been chosen as a royal priesthood we may not understand that so much we don't we're not used to having priests the Jews were right first century they understood that very well a royal priesthood the Levites were the priest in Israel he had a high priest. He was the only one who could go in that Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, right? They understood that probably better than we do. But now we are priests, every one of us. We're a holy nation. His own special people. I was just talking about that, right? We've been called out, out of light, out of darkness into light. John 1, remember? The Word was with God and was God. And he came into the world, and he was that light shining in the darkness. He became flesh and dwelt among men. That's referenced all the time. We can understand coming out of darkness into light, right? In the dark, you can't see. In the light, now we have that mystery revealed. And we've been called out for a certain purpose. He's talking about their eyes being opened, their calling. They've had that mystery revealed and now they need to appreciate that hope of that calling, right? Through that revealed Word of God, which we have. The wonderful hope that we have. The hope of His calling. In addition to that, he talks about he, uh, the, 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 uh, that they might know the riches of God's inheritance. I've already made reference to that in chapter one. Talk about that inheritance in fact. Let's just go read, go back to Ephesians, and let's just read that again. <coughs> For those that might not have been here before, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy without blame before him in love, having predestined us, "...to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glorious grace, by which he made us accepted in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sin, according to the riches of his grace, which he made to abound toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both of which are in heaven and which are on earth in him." In him also we have obtained an inheritance, being predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. I know we belabored that point a bit, right? We have that inheritance. We've been predestined as as, as, uh, sons who are adopted, children of God, to have that inheritance, right? We've obtained that inheritance. The Holy Spirit's given us that guarantee. And we're going to look at that a little more, actually, later uh, when we get into chapter 2. He's going to speak of the exceeding riches of God's grace that are going to come in the ages to come. And he's going to speak of how the Gentiles in chapter 2 are fellow heirs, which is good news for us, right? Remember, he's talking to the First Century Church. Many of these, well, probably most all of these brethren in Ephesus are Gentiles. Might have been a few Jews there, too. They've been made fellow heirs, just like the Jews were, which is a wonderful thing, a wonderful promise. So we can see how Paul's writing this epistle to answer his prayer. We'll see that as we go through the study, right? This prayer is kind of that beginning, and we're going to see how he's talking about that needs to be answered and that has been answered. There's one more thing Paul writes about, and that well, we read about in Paul's prayer here where he elaborates on something that's important, right? It might, it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's that line in verses 19 to 20 where he talks about that we might know the power of God, right? Power described as exceedingly great and ex, the exceeding greatness that has been shown toward those who believe or, in essence, toward us who believe. And it's in accordance with that same power that he raised Jesus from the dead we don't we don't necessarily grasp that very well do we the power of God we pray right and we want God to do things in our lives but I'm not sure we grasp that power very well at times right we I mean and then things will, you know things will happen in our lives and say well that had to be God working. because then, then you might look back and say, well, I don't know. Uh, some other things happened. I don't know if that was God or not. You know? If we're going to pray for it, then we need to believe it. right? We need to understand that power is at work in our lives. That's the same power that in in, we just read there in verse 3 that seated him at the right hand of God in the heavenly places. How can we say that power is available for us? Well, Paul's going to give us an example. Look over there in chapter 2, and let's see what he says. And pay attention to this, because it's something that we as Christians need to grasp, especially when making a defense for our faith. The world doesn't understand this, right? The world thinks this is silly. People that don't understand, don't believe, thinks this is silly. Beginning in verse 1, he says, "And and, "...and you he made alive." who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Paul's referring to the power of God that same power that raised Jesus up. He says, you were dead. Dead in your trespasses. The world is dead. It's not going to get any better, right? But you've been made alive. That same power, we're not talking about a flesh thing here, we're talking about a spiritual thing, right? In the same God and the same power that raised Jesus Christ in the flesh who sat him down at the, right, at the end of the throne the right hand of God has made you alive when you were dead in your sins. It may not sound as cool as actually raising somebody from the dead, right, physically. But uh, there's an interesting phrase in Matthew 9 I want to read uh, where Jesus talks about this a little bit. Matthew chapter 9. Turn over there. You know the verse, but let's read it again. <clears throat> Actually, verse says... Matthew chapter 9. And let's, this is where the, the paralytic comes into play, right? Matthew chapter 9, verse 1. He says, <clears throat> So he got into a boat, crossed over, crossed over and came to his own city. And then behold, they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. Interesting phrase, isn't it? Wait a minute. This is a paralytic who wants to be healed. I'm sure the paralytic knew about his sin and he wanted to be forgiven, but I would imagine, first and foremost, he wanted to be healed of his para- paralysis, right? And those who brought him wanted to see that happen because they'd heard some things about Jesus. Verse 3, And at once some of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. What? They've heard about his miracles, but they never heard anybody say that he can forgive sin. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, interesting, I love those verses. Jesus, knowing their thoughts. There's that great wisdom of God compared to the wisdom of man, right? Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven you? Or to say, I rise and walk. Which is easier? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. Now, when the multitude saw it they marveled and glorified God who had given such power to men the scribes are saying wait a minute okay we've heard about these miracles not sure what to think about that but oh nobody's gonna say they can forgive sin only God can do that and Jesus mocks them he almost it's like he's mocking them you know he's saying well what's the difference if I can raise somebody from the dead and, and or forgive sins what's the difference if I have the power to raise somebody from the dead Obviously, I have the power to forgive sin. Alright? Make sense? That's what we're talking about here. Paul is wanting them to understand the power of God. Paul speaks of its source. Go back to Ephesians chapter 3, beginning in verse 14. Ephesians 3, 14. He says, For this reason... I bow my knees to the Father our Lord Jesus Christ from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Through that spirit, we can experience that renewal. We can have that power. Not the power to raise the dead, not the power to forgive sin, but the strength to go on in our lives, no matter what happens to us, right? you can be persecuted. You can be beaten, ridiculed. You can lose a job, lose a friend. But he gives you strength through that spirit, right? To go on. John 3, 5. Titus 3, 5. We are renewed by that spirit upon our baptism. That spirit is at work. We are raised to newness of life, walk in newness of life, buried with him through baptism, raised to newness of life. We now have that power. We are experiencing that power that, through the spirit. And then in verse 20 there in chapter 3, he says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or thank, according to the power that works in us, to him be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus, to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul talks about that power, how great it is, how we should be thankful, we should understand that. His prayer is that we should understand that power of God. That power that raised the dead and forgave our sins. That's what is in working us, folks. We don't think about that very often, do we? We go about our lives, our daily routines. As Christians, we have His Spirit. We have the guarantee. We have the power of God working through that Spirit in us. It's not anything that we can do or we do ourselves. It's all through God. In Ephesians chapter 6, I do want to read a few verses there to close out this morning. It talks about something we need to do to help us carry on beginning in verse 10, Ephesians 6. He says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Notice these next few verses. I talked about the world, not understanding, but it's really not about the world. Verse 12, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Our fight is with those fathers of the devil. It's not the people. It's not the world in that respect. Our fight is in spiritual places, heavenly places. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all power and supplication of the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Put on the whole armor of God. You're in a battle. You need to be prepared. We know about God's power. We know we have that inheritance. We should know that we're going to spend eternity with Him. Therefore, gird yourselves with the Word and be ready to make a defense for your faith in everything that you do. That's what that prayer is really all about. The prayer that he had for those in Ephesus and that prayer that can be applied to us. He says, pray for the Ephesians that they might know God, they might know about the hope of his calling, which we all have, the riches of his inheritance and the power of His Spirit takes it upon himself to write these things in this epistle that we might know him. It's his, it's his desire it's his, that we increase our understanding through his word, increase our relationship through prayer and service, right? With that help, we can be like those who are in Ephesus. We can grow in all things. But remember, to grow, you've got to start somewhere, Right? And if anybody in here is not a Christian today, today today's the first, the best day to start the rest of your life. I know that's a cliche, but it's true. All right, time is up.